So we just wrapped up another episode of the Enlightened Agent Podcast. Had a different guest today on the show, Tuan Huynh, an angel investor in Broker Buddha and a board member across fintechs and the banking industry. Tuan's been a great person for me to know and get to know in the industry. And she's even got a new little venture of her own that she's going to talk about on the show. So with that, we'll, we'll get right into it. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Enlightened Agent, the podcast that brings you conversations with top insurance professionals and industry leaders. My name is Jason Keck, and I'm joined today by Tuan Huynh. Tuan, welcome to The Enlightened Agent. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming. You know, to kick things off, you and I have gotten to know each other pretty well through the investor community, but our listeners may not know you so well. So for those that maybe haven't come across your story, can you tell everybody who is Tuan and what do you do today? Sure. So I am a builder of companies, I like to say, by helping investing, scaling, working alongside my founder partners across the spectrum of things like go to market, partnerships, pricing, et cetera. But um, along that thread, I work with a team of former big co-executives to provide scale and operational support to venture-backed companies, primarily in the B2B space and IT services. Awesome. It sounds like a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting different things you do. What, what is it you love most about what you do, or are there particular parts of those projects that you enjoy most? Yeah, I think I just, uh, you know, I'm a former founder. I, I have scars from having done that. <laughs> but, stars uh, or scars? <laughs> scars. Stars. <laughs> Hopefully, some stars, stars as well. Yeah. I'll say dead bodies, but those dead bodies translate into actual, you know, executable tactics that are very helpful for, for my founder partners that I work with. So I love that I can make a greater impact than just being, you know, going back and being a sole founder again. So I'm happy, yeah, I'm able to help companies grow and make a, make a greater, uh, I guess, a space for the kind of work uh, that we all need. So I, I'm happy that, that I can do that. And that's probably what the things that I love the most about it. Nice. Building things is fun, right? It's always fun to create. Build and things. scale and actually yeah. make it sustainable, right? Uh, <laughs> I actually, my, my six-year-old the other day asked me like what I did because she was really confused. And I said, well, mommy helps baby companies. Oh. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. I get it. I get it. That's cute. <laughs> Anything yeah. with the word baby, right? Is great for Right. They understand baby for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up very, very math and science oriented and didn't really consider myself to be a creative, right? Creatives in my mind were sort of artists and, you know, painters and writers and things like that. And it wasn't until, you know, I learned how to, you know, build software and build technology that I felt like I really got to tap into a sort of creative interest of mine, which is like you know, solving problems with technology, right? And solving, or frankly, solving problems with with knowledge, right? Which, you know, sounds like you've been down that road both as a founder and as an advisor and as a board member. So, I mean, that's an exciting thing to do is to be able to take that knowledge and, you know, share it or contribute it and then, you know, see things come out of nowhere. And that's as, you know, just as creative as as drawing a painting or, you know, drawing a picture. Absolutely. In fact, I would bear to say that it's not, it doesn't just use your visual senses, it uses all the senses you actually have, your mental, your visual, your emotional, your auditory, your inner relationships, you know? So and this whole cross-disciplinary, and I think that's why, Jason, you've been so successful as CEO of, of Roka Buddha, because you're using all of those sort of, I'll say, 
intertwined disciplinarian points of view that have informed your prior careers. And I think that's what I think a lot of folks who end up, you know, really excelling at a field, that's what they use. They draw back on experiences, you know, that yep. just somehow wasn't meaningful at the time, but then do come up and tie together at the end very nicely. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly addicted to learning, right? And so, yeah. you know, it was kind of fun jumping into a new industry out of, out of the digital media and into insurance. It was like, wow, there's, there's a lot to understand here and learn here. And it's fascinating. And you kind of get into the nooks and crannies of it to solve yep. problems. It's, it's super fun. So cool. Good. Well, look, I'm glad we have something in common on the, on the builder front. <laughs> My background, as I mentioned, you know, came from technology, came from digital media now and insurance. You know, everybody's career has their own unique story. I'm, I'm curious if you have any events from your career that sort of stand out in your mind that maybe, you know, developing entrepreneurs or developing builders might be able to learn from. Yeah, no, I love that question. So I came from a family of builders. My family was chased by wars, I'll say, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurial and self-starter types of individuals seem to have sort of that similar foundation where they really had to rebuild from nothing. So we rebuilt in like three different continents. By the time we got to the US, I think my family moved like five times. (laughs) In this case, driven by the Vietnam War. But in any event, I I think it's so it wasn't unusual and certainly wasn't surprising when I started to break off and, and, you know, had gone into consulting and and banking for an early part of my career. And then decided at that time that uh, technology was was very interesting to me. And so I made the decision to to actually stay in New York. I had a job offer. And just this is just like one inflection point that I think yeah. you too. But there's, of course, in any career, there's all kinds of inflection points. But I had uh, this was like 2007, 2006. I, I had an opportunity to go overseas to run product dev for a big ed tech company out of Shanghai. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm young. I have no responsibility. I just want to go and (laughs) do something really cool and bring that knowledge back, you know, one day. And I had packed my bags, like subletted my apartment in like, of course, the East Village of New York City and uh, had all, had my visas, had everything ready to go. And then I go in to resign from my current job at the time. We were early, you know, working with a boutique firm called O'Carey, O-K-E-R-E, but like, Early days to SaaS and Salesforce, like this is back in the day when all the banks and insurance companies were worried about cloud and storing data anywhere else, but like under your desk or a data center. <laughs> right. But uh, I went in to resign. And, and, and at the time, my boss was like, why are you going? I said, well, I really want to do something different. I want to build something and I can build something there. So why do you have to go overseas? Stay here and, and help me build this. So that was the beginning of actually Global One. Which you know, I started with you know nine people in, in the Philippines and me in New York City. I don't, Jason, I don't think I ever told you this, but that's how we started. And for the no, first I, year, I, this is the first time I've heard this story. This, uh... Yeah, for the first year, so it was cloud computing, SaaS. You know, early days. This is not something that like banks and insurance companies ever even thought of. But we sold basically dislodged Siebel. If you remember that software, yeah, I remember them from Merrill Lynch private. You know, ultra high net worth division at the time, and that was twenty five thousand seats. So it was like the biggest amount of sales receipts you could have sold, and so that kind of started my career in <laughs> cloud and startup and scaling. So uh, and I do wow. services. So that I can point to that moment. If I had gone to China, I think my life probably would have been extremely different. I don't know how. There's, but there's no question. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a very like, different path, right? Wouldn't be in New York. Wouldn't be married to who I am. <laughs> so I would say that. Yeah. That's a, and what was it about that 
opportunity. I mean, both were good opportunities, right? I mean, it sounds yeah. like going over to China. I mean, you got a chance to build, build, build something in it, both places. Yeah. Um, so the one, the one in China was a global ed tech company. I mean, I'm talking about European based headquarters to build out the very first virtual classroom product at the time. Right. Wasn't yeah. Great. No, I mean, this is, we were starting to, right. We were starting to see things like Blackboard and things like that in the US, but like in, in Asia, there just wasn't a thing, but it was already a team that was in place. And I would come in and report to a very senior person. And I, I, I really would have loved it. But, and I remember they had this really cool, I mean, just to wait a second, they had this really cool <laughs> upside down glass office, like in Shanghai. <laughs> upside down glass office. Yeah. It was like the marquee, uh, you know, what do you call it? Iconic, you right. know, conference room because it was all glass. You had to take a special staircase to go up and then you would have a meeting in this conference room. It was right in the middle of this like four story <laughs> building and all the other offices were down below. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to like fall from here. But, right. you know, but it was kind of like mind bending a little. Anyway. Yeah, I, was, no, I, I just cut an article that in, in London, they just, somebody just built a oh, pool, right. a, a see-through pool connecting two skyscrapers. I was like, yeah. wow. Yes, I, I remember we saw it when it was in construction. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But you know, like in Singapore, they have that pool. Anyway, right, right, right. but uh, New York was an opportunity to really build, you know, a thing like from scratch and okay. had the global team that I really wanted to work with. And I thought a really cutting edge way, an innovative business model that wasn't yet taking hold, which is the SaaS, right? Software as a right. service. Wow. So it was just a, a decision that I kind of made based on gut. I really didn't have any uh, data at that point other than my own practic- practicing of the of, of the technology. There was something about SaaS when it came out that just made so much sense, right? I mean, in the world, for those who weren't around for enterprise software days, right, where you know installations, you know, new software installations were quarter of a million, half a million, million dollar plus for like setup, and then you'd have these ongoing maintenance fees. Versus the SaaS model, where you came in and it was cloud based, and you could, yeah. you know, software was fifty or seventy five bucks a month, and you could start with five users instead of having, you know, the ROI was just very different, right? Like all of a sudden, it just made technology accessible, and it was so exciting. Like it was really, it was really exciting. I mean, you know, now almost all software products are are SaaS based. You rarely get the kind of enterprise model. It really flattened the playing field for totally. companies. Um, yeah. Actually, the cost of starting up a company, as you know, is actually also drastically lower now right. because of cloud. So, wow. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like I'm talking to one of the founders of SaaS here all of a sudden. This is awesome. <laughs> I just helped the adoption. Let's put it that way. And there that's actually real work. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's that's hard, right? That's 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 hard to do. Yeah. That's hard to do, right? Crossing the chasm, getting getting through those early days. That, yeah. That's non-trivial work. Good for you. Yeah. Okay, so let's maybe take the conversation in, in that direction, the SaaS sort of technology direction. You've been an active insurtech, fintech investor for yes. a while now, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's how we met. Uh, so, over a decade. <laughs> okay, there you go. Right, since since the early days of SaaS. Obviously, insurtech is an area that I'm, you know, is, is near and dear to my heart. What are you seeing lately? Like, what's what's yeah. happened since the pandemic? What any trends? Anything that you know people should be following? That you know. You get the inside scoop here, so. Well, um, I have a inside view. I mean, a point of view, I should say. I'm okay. the only one, but I think. Well, first of all, what, what stage do you? Fo- I guess you you see it across the board, right? Because you do some angel you investing, yeah, but then you're but, on your board work. You're seeing things at the corporate level, right? Right. I kind of have this interesting purview where, so with my funds, which I'll talk about at the end a little bit, 
you know, it's for women, former operators, bankers, lawyers, and we look at more C to A okay. kind right. of uh, sizes. And of course, you know, we met through Archangels. Yep. Archangels. So yeah. I've been with them for like, I don't know, seven years, a long time. And then I, yeah, on the board seat, you see all the corporate level <laughs> types of innovations that's, that's required. And then, yep. you know, Cloud Sherpas, as we, as we swam upstream, we were, we were setting up digital offices and model offices for big global carriers. So I was kind of in it all along the okay. way. Right. So, but I think what's really changed the last six to 12 months is this acceleration of this desire to digitize. And I know I'm saying it, and I know that a lot of people are going, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we've heard this for decades. And you know what? It's absolutely true now. There's no more like, well, we can do it after we fix the core systems. Well, we can do it after we get our data clean. You know, all of these, I call it the embedded uh, heritage systems that cost millions of dollars. Well, those, the ROI of saying, look, we've spent it. We need to actually get something out of it. It's out the window. Now it's like, hmm. okay, we spent it. We made a mistake. Let's move on, you know? Hmm. So I think that acceleration of spend, and which is why it's exciting to be an investor in this space, fit insurance is going to follow financial services and banking because, you know, I spent a lot of years in banking as well at City Ventures and a few other places. And I'll say that the banking world adopted a little bit earlier than their insurance brethren. We know right. that, but we, be, I believe in the next five to seven years, insurance carriers and incumbents have a unique opportunity to partner, right. uh, to find meaningful partnerships and to get, I guess, get, get digital and get to the speed of value a lot quicker. This was not the case, you know, five years ago, as you know, it yeah. was always, it was like, oh, you're competing with me. Well, now it's not the case. And so I think that that's one big thing. The other is like unbundling and rebundling. So you see this like unbundling of the insurance value chain, then the unbundling of it. And now you have lots of like segmentation under right. the insured. And I think at the end of the day, like the carrier or the company that understands financial wellness as a whole, including mm. insurance for the individual, for his businesses, yep. for his health, for his family, for yep. his Plan, like all of that, the, the the company that gets that will have a very good chance of dominating uh, how the next generation thinks about financial wellness and, and health and insurance and, and banking. I mean, sorry, I'm kind of pulling it all together, but yeah, I I mean, so, so it sounds like you're on the bundling train right now versus the unbundling train a little I think, bit. I, mean, I think if you're going to work with the incumbents, you have to, you can't yeah. have them. I mean, the whole breast of breed you know this because you're a technologist. There's always that argument, best of breed versus like, you know, full stack. And right. I think the cost of full stack versus the cost of best of breed, they can be a little difficult. But yep. then again, with the best of breed, you have the open source. So I'm getting a little techier, but you have the open source. So in theory, it should be pretty easy. Yep. But that's where you still need IT services. So I think it's just a journey that... that well, look, this is... I mean, it's easy to ask the question, like, you know, what's the trend or what's the one thing happening, right? But this, really is, a tri- this is a trillion dollar industry. <laughs> so there are lots of, of big niches out there of opportunity, right? I mean, Correct. You know, I'll add one more, uh, yep. Jason. I still think distribution is king. Sure. And I say that because I still think that carriers struggle to find where the customers are. They just struggle. And the right. newer insure techs have figured it out. Yeah. That's why Assurance sold for $3 billion, right? That's why Lemonade went public, right? These companies have figured out a way to acquire acquire yeah. customers, right? And you know, there's lots of questions about Lemonade's 
loss ratios and viability, but that's not what people are betting on. They're betting on their ability to acquire customers and figure out the economics in the future. And you know, right. next, next now partnering with Amazon is is pretty interesting, right? From a distribution yes. perspective. So that's that's super yes. powerful there. That's um, exactly right. So yeah. I mean, any company, any fintech or insure tech that can help with distribution is still very much in demand, you yeah. know. So if, if I had to sort of take a step back and look what's out there, the companies that get the most visibility are the vertically integrated ones, right? Because that's that's the ones people hear about, right? It's the ones that consumers hear about, right? Nobody yeah. hears about the enterprise right. software companies that are crushing it selling to insurance carriers. I and mean, unless you're in the industry, right? You've got companies yeah. like Uncork who are doing really well, but like, you know, the average consumer is not going to know who Uncork is, but a lot of people know who Lemonade is, right? And yeah, you know, some people might know who Next is if they're buying, you know, if they're buying small business insurance, like you might right. get a, a different network there. But um, I think the best of breed players probably don't get enough visibility no. just because frankly they're just not brand names right but they're still they're still doing a great job so no they are and they're actually the market for them the tam for them are actually much greater from an investable tam standpoint than just the you know b2b to c or b2c kind of models but yep. you're right it's all about consumer focus uh, like recognition of a brand versus the actual back end it's all the non-sexy stuff i mean that's what i like too hey so. Non-sexy is good business. So yeah, I, I learned that again when I switched from uh, from music to insurance. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great business. A lot of problems to solve. A lot of opportunity. Yeah. You, you switched from music to insurance. I think I find that fascinating. But I don't find that odd, by the way, at all. I did when I did it. I was like, this is weird. But then, you know... <laughs> I found that the, the sort of consumer internet, digital media perspective, bringing that to, yeah. and you know, I think that plus my sort of technical and business problem solving skills, those skills coming together as an insure tech, I ended, ended up being an asset in the end rather than than something else. So I was, yeah, uh, I didn't realize that at the beginning. I thought, you know, I felt like an imposter very much for the first year or two, but now I feel like well established, and I feel like I've got a different perspective that that's appreciated. So. And, yeah. and there's certain there are some parallels between the kind of marketplace world of digital media and the marketplace of insurance. So you know that yeah. model makes sense, and I'm familiar with it. But yeah, it's a different, it's a it's a it's a different space for me, but fun, and I'm enjoying it. I love it. That's great. Speaking of the insure techs and some of the enablers out there, you know, you've got some some pretty good visibility at the sort of enterprise level. Are there any examples you know of of Companies having success with insure tax partnering that, you know, maybe yeah. more the best of breed examples than the, the full stack. So I'll speak, you know, just sort of broad strokes firstly about how, you know, really the last decade, a lot of insurance companies, especially the global ones, have had teams focusing on sort of the new, you know, next generation insurance mm -hmm. offerings and what that looks like. They've had a harder time because of just the politics of it internally. And look, everyone knows that, that the way decisions are made, the way the, you know, how can you fund a, a growing idea when it doesn't make any money when the rest of your enterprise is making more money? So there the attention flows, you know, to the deepest hole, if you will, yep. right? So yep. over the last five years, uh, everyone's gained ground. And I actually have been particularly impressed with some of the mutuals and what they're doing in the space. And I'm, I think it's partly because this, um, there's a, uh, they're nimbler, they're a little bit nimbler, they're a little smaller than, than the global carriers. I mean, we're talking not a lot, but like I'm saying, just in terms right. of mindset and just how it's working. But like AmFam and their whole, you know, connections with like Hover, that's just genius. And then recently, you know, basically integrating back to the core and with CoreLogic. I mean, that's such, 
with the property management uh, and, and measure measure D, 3D technology within uh, Hover. Those are that's just like the great melding of two minds, you know. And so they're doing really well. And then I'm sure you've heard about their acquisition with their investment into Bold Penguin and Risk Genius. So yep. and you know some of this is going really into the back end <laughs> a little bit. Sure, that's all right. Now I'm curious the, the Hover example. I, I'm not familiar with Hover. What are they doing? I, I, I don't know that everybody is. Can you? Uh, Hover that? is a it's a relative I don't know, five or seven years. I forget now, but they do property 3D and like dimension yep. measuring. Okay. They're using I think certain technologies like drone and AI and and photo imagery. Okay. Uh, but also using satellite imagery and Google and you know other other sources Unreal. of physical image, and they take that and they allow insurance carriers to basically look at the dimensions of the house without having to be physically on yep. you know, on property and be able to use that data for underwriting purposes and for claims. Wow. So there's a few others that are doing it. Hover probably was an earlier player in the space. Yep. And uh, so I think that's very exciting. And then nice. um, you've heard of Risk Genius, I'm sure. Yeah. I know Risk Genius. I know Bold Penguin. I know those guys. Yeah. Interesting plays Great. in the small yeah. commercial space. Um, really interesting. Exactly. And that I remember working with a big carrier 2011, 2013 that had like a, a very large commercial insurance policy. And for the SMB commercial space, they couldn't underwrite it at a profit just because it was sure. just systems were not set up for it. Yep. And that's why this product here is genius. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's a few more. New York Life's doing some really cool stuff with uh, H2O.ai, you know, through data, as you yep. know, as we get more IoT data and all data around our smart home. Smart yeah. businesses, you know, people, all these things. I mean, they're all they're going to help. Yeah, the, the, the AI and the data plays are super valuable for the underwriting side of things. That's one that you know that one's very specific to carriers, right? And MGAs and the kind of yeah. that underwriting world. And that's definitely not one that gets as much sort of public visibility. But that's uh, there's a lot of opportunity there for sure. What was the uh, when you made the comment about Bull Penguin, the, uh, the yeah. small commercial underwriting? There's been a ton of energy in that space, like digital raters. Digital. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I get it as a carrier. I don't have, if I can program the logic to, to do this, then you know, I'd rather have technology do the underwriting than a person. And so there's been a lot of activity in there. We, we've intentionally stayed out of there. There's, there's actually not much happening in the middle market, which is where, where we see a lot of opportunities. So there's a lot of energy. Yeah. You know, the, the middle market doesn't want real-time underwriting. They want streamlined workflows. And so when everybody sort of flocked to small, yeah. we recognized a really interesting world in the middle where, you know, data and data delivery is is critical. And there's a lot of a lot of really good opportunity there. So I'm, it's a good example of this being a big space and people paying attention to one thing that gets a lot of attention, but not realizing there's uh, yeah. certainly opportunity elsewhere as well. You're in a good space because you're right. That particular mid-market segment is not always served as well as it could be. So no. And there's and a lot, there's a lot of money there. <laughs> a yeah, lot I was of money being say, spent. Really great market. And actually for a lot of the for big carriers, they want to swim downstream a little bit, but not too downstream. And then for smaller carriers, they want to swim upstream a little bit. So you're in a good place to optimize on both kind of opportunities there, I think. We talked a little bit about carriers trying to innovate, right? Like this is a hard area. And when I came into the space, you know, in my mind, product was a piece of software and insurance product is is an insurance product, which is different. It was only the when I got to my second and third iteration of understanding the industry that I appreciated how hard it is to develop a new insurance product, yeah. right? Like that is a unique 
and challenging thing to do at a minimum, like what you said earlier, like how as a company, do I put resources towards something that, you know, is, yeah. is speculatory and you can't really measure the, not the value of it. You can't, you can measure the growth of it quickly, right? You can go sell anything. <laughs> you can't necessarily measure the profitability of a product until potentially yeah. years down the road. Right. That's and so exactly right. <laughs> It's a fascinating problem for me as a, as a problem solver. We had a, a guest on the show from a company called Assurely. It's an ex-agent who's now building up a, uh, I want to do it justice. I'm, I'm going to call it a digital MGA, but they're, they're innovating on product. They're coming up with insurance products that fit markets and coming up with ways to underwrite them. And then, you know, going to carriers and saying, Hey, look, we've got problem, we've got solution, we've got distribution, and, you know, they get backing from them. And I, I think that's a super interesting space because, you know, there's carriers with a ton of money, a lot of appetite for new, yep. but not a lot of appetite for taking the risk, right? So yeah. um, anybody that, who can figure that out is solving a huge problem for them, I think. That's the product as a service kind right. of model. Yeah. Uh, insurance product. Yeah. I mean, if I follow the trends again, like, Banking had that and still being going on, but the whole idea of outsourcing the manufacturing, the risk, the distribution, and then just backing them up with capital, was, yep. yeah, that's great. It's not a bad um, model, and then they can acquire, and then they, then they acquire if they, you know, if it makes sense, right? Or, or so. sign exclusive forever. Right. Right. <laughs> exclusive forever. No, I mean, hey, whatever. <laughs> look. Everybody just makes the right decision for them, right? If a company decides they want, it's that bundling and unbundling, right? If they decide they want to start bundling, then they're going to start, you know, acquiring and, and vertically integrating and cool. going upstream. And if they want to unbundle, they'll spin it out and yeah. go a different way. I think the other thing, I mean, just because you brought up this example, which I think is, is spot on, um, you know, let's say you don't do that route with Assuredly, but you, you know, you try to manufacture your own uh, yep. as a it's, it's much harder, as you say. So the whole idea of like agile product development and distribution management, like that's hard for an insurance company to do. So there's actually a whole as a service model that sprung up on that as well, actually. Right. So what almost like, like a service model to help carriers develop new products, right? Develop new products, handle the calls, the sales, the servicing, everything. Right. And, right. and actually even the capital, it's weird. And then you do a rev share. So it's an interesting new model. I'm actually looking at it for a couple. Of, just looking at it for a few things, and uh, it's been it's been interesting to watch. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I guess with your banking background, you probably understand the capital side of it maybe a little bit better yeah. than I would. So that's I can't quite get my head around that yet. But that feels <laughs> that feels like maybe iteration number four for me. So this, like yeah. I said, it just keeps going deeper and deeper. There's like so much more to learn in this space. Sucks you in, and you never let go. You're in it for life, Jason. At this point. So fascinating. Yeah, yeah, no. And I and I think to your point though, the way that we consume information, the way we consume products of any kind is just so different now. I can't imagine. I mean, I can't believe it. I really can't. Sometimes I'm like, wow, what happened to like, you know, talking to people? What happened to like just why well, I, I can Google everything? Like, it's like yeah, I mean, go, um, the idea of going into a, a strip mall to talk to an insurance agent to get know, help for something, it's like, you're like, what? I mean, there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to, yeah. you know, it's like I do everything I can to avoid physically having to go into a store or doing anything with paper, right? Like if you send me something in the mail, I look at it, one, like I, I batch my mail once a month, I open it and it, it gives me a lot of stress and I have to, things I have to respond to physically. I'm like, oh, I don't go to the post office anymore. I don't even know where I can send mail around here, which is, yeah, every now and then I get something, it's like has to be done on paper and it, it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I feel like books, but you're right. That's different. That's enjoyment. 
Yeah, but yeah, work-wise, yes. you just want the se- most seamless. I want self-service way. on my time. I want to do it asynchronously. I want to multitask. I want to get stuff right. done. And I only want to have to talk to somebody when it's like really important. And, you know, there's there's a dollar threshold. So um, that's right. That's right. So, Tuan, this has been a, a slightly different version of the podcast, right? We're often talking to agents and carriers about about Thanks. the industry and I always ask them for stories about, or I look for stories about people who've helped, you know, helped other companies or helped protect companies or, you know, kind of enlightened moments. We talked a little before the podcast about kind of an experience you've had with a friend. You know, I, I tell people, you know, enlightenment is defined as the state of having knowledge or understanding. And the podcast is about, you know, enlightened agents, enlightened stories and things that the industry has done to really protect people. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the story we talked about earlier for our listeners and um, let them know what happened. Absolutely. You know, I think it was in 2017, I believe, that um, Texas uh, experienced one of of its most terrible hurricanes. I mean, it seems like the hurricanes come fast and furious every year, but that one in particular, Harvey, did uh, a terrible damage all around Galveston, Houston, you know, San Antonio area. And um, I have family there, so I knew firsthand Mm. You know, they lost power for like six weeks. The grid mm. went there. Uh, anyway, so a good friend of mine, I've known her since she was five, um, called and was like, oh my God, my, my, you know, she, her family has a restaurant that was doing extremely well. Basically got decimated, literally like the stools were, were falling away, you know, the kitchen, everything was extremely damaged. And so they ended up really having to shut down for, gosh, nine months, which is death sentences for some of these businesses, right? Like imagine like, with COVID and everything. So right. with, without um, all the, without all the disaster support we've been getting for COVID, right? I mean, COVID. Right. This is, this is before, yeah, this is, right. yeah. There was no government aid or anything like that at that time. Right. Right? And so thank goodness they did have a business policy. They had coverage that continued with business coverage. They had flood insurance. They had all the right coverages. And I think they just talked to a great agent who recommended it, knowing their particular area, their particular right. situation, and said, look, I know you don't want to think about it, but in the event, this is how you recover. Right. And so the, they were able to actually keep a fair amount of their staff on, you know, on leave, right. paid with some kind of comp. They were able to recover and rebuild. And so I believe the carrier was was either nationwide or AMFAM. I'm going to just, I don't know, but it's a, it's a right. community-oriented carrier local to the area working with one of the Asians that are there. And um, I'll say, look, they're now back. Even with COVID closing, they're doing very well. They're, they've transitioned everything online. <laughs> so oh, wow. They're doing a lot yeah. of deliveries. That's what she talk, told me. Talk about so digital transformation, right? There's no more digital transformation than going from in-store to all online. Wow. That's yeah. Amazing. You know, and, and I'm sure at some point when, when Texas really does reopen completely, you know, they'll be back to normal. But look, that was that family's lifeline. You know, they're first generation immigrants here. You know, they had, this was their, this is their business. Like there was yeah. nothing else. So I'm grateful for her and for her family that they have this coverage. I mean, you don't think about it until you you need it. Too many people treat insurance as a necessary evil and they don't, they don't. um, And it's not, it's it's actually a lifesaver. You have to look at it that way. I will say this more on a less, uh, you know, severe note, but my husband, I think I'd share Jason. So I'm in innovation. I have like the most, you know, pressing tech edge that I could have, you know, gadgets and stuff. He's on a Blackberry. Okay. Still. (laughs) He won't give it up. He's had it since like the nineties and he won't give it up. So he does all kinds of things to it. And plus it's a Blackberry that, you know, obviously they don't support anymore. The rim company has gone, whatever. So every time we go buy a new phone, it's a Blackberry phone and the salesperson would be like, do you want product? 
warranty insurance, I was like, yes, just take it because, and you know what, we have used it to its fullest extent every time. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, never they're know. They're going to start canceled. They're not going to start, they're going to stop offering that to you. You're like, actually you've, yeah, uh, you, you you're no longer have. coverable. <laughs> Our loss ratio on you just don't, don't add up. So we're, yeah. uh, we're cutting you off. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's, you're gambling if you don't, if you don't have it and that's the point. And yeah. you know, the, the people who've had insurance and needed it and used it. Wow. What a lifesaver. So amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. This has been fun and different take on the on the show. So I'm I'm really glad you've been with us. I'm really glad you're able to share your time and your stories. Before we wrap up here, anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, real briefly, I, I mentioned a little bit about this uh, Alinea Venture, my my team of women operator, bankers, founders. Look, we'd loved if you're in insure tech, just as cool as Jason's and Broker Buddha and and any other, you know, financial services tech or B two B SaaS. Please give us a ring. We'd love to talk to you. We want to be the first smart capital that brings a diverse opinion. So there, there's my little airtime commercial. Thank you for having That's me. That's great. No, it's fantastic. So uh, what's the name of the firm? You, you also have a venture, you know, Alinea? Have, I'll tell you, this is the first time I'm talking about it. It's, it's so you were, wow. Like wow. Uh, first time I'm talking about, we haven't even launched our, our site, but we are deploying capital already. And we do seed to, pre, you know, to about stage, I'll say bri seed bridge to pre AA. That's okay. sort of a sweet spot. And uh, we're working with some great LPs and I'm so excited about them. Some of them in the corporate space. So really amazing. Great. And how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to find you? Um, T-O-A-N, Tuan, at Alinea Venture, without an S, dot com. Alinea, A-L-I-N-E-A, Venture, dot com. Yeah. Okay, great. Or they can find you on LinkedIn as well. Right? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's even yeah. better. Find me on LinkedIn. That's probably <laughs> T much easier. T-O-A-N-H-U-Y-N-H. <laughs> Great. If anybody's out there has got a crazy idea that they want to uh, talk with Tuan about, or even a developed idea that needs capital or funding and in the fintech, insure tech, or SaaS space, is it it's kind of yes, across the board there? Logistics, has energy, and also healthcare. So we, 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 there's four women and we have we are all experts in different different areas, which is awesome. Great. So, great. Yeah. Great. Well, nothing would make me happier than sourcing your next lead for your next <laughs> investment. So if anybody out there is interested, uh, please get in touch with Tuan or find me and I'll, I'll pass along the, uh, the intro. Thank so great. So well, Tuan, this has been fun. Thanks again for your time. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Great. Same here. Thanks, Jason. Take care.